We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports governance. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice as all of the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Chris Kissick. Chris's passion for the Isle of Man is equaled by his lifelong love for video games and esports. A regular and recognized speaker, panelist, and moderator within the esports business community, Chris has been bringing his knowledge of corporate solutions to the esports and video gaming space for many years. As the current head of esports for the Isle of Man Government's Department for Enterprise, Chris supports local grassroots scene, along with educating esports team owners, pro players, and tournament operators on the benefits of doing business on the island. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, Justin. No, thanks for having me. I was just thinking that is a great intro, but then I was thinking actually I wrote most of that. So um, it, it's, it sums it up really well. So well done. Well, you know, we'll give credit where credit is due. You, you <laughs> gave me a great intro, so we're going <laughs> to go with it and introduce the topic a bit. You know, we're now exploring esports governance. So due to the global and largely unchecked growth of esports, local governments and other created governing bodies at various levels and jurisdictions have been created and began implementing policies in their countries. Some have assisted in passing laws governing esports and gaming in their geographic jurisdictions, as well as some focused on encouraging local business development in their country. These associations aim to govern global or international esports on a large scale, such as the International Esports Federation, which has 100 member countries. You have the Global Esports Federation, the World Esports Association, and even the Esports Integrity Commission. There are also some federations that focus on specific geographic continents, such as Europe or Asia, such as the European Esports Federation, 
or organizations just focused on one particular country, such as just in the U.S. or Germany or Spain. So you have the U.S. Esports Association, the British Esports Association, the Bahamas Esports Federation. In South Korea, you have KESPA. And in Japan, you have Japan Esports. So now we know a bit more about esports governing bodies. Tell us a bit about your esports and gaming experience. Okay, thanks, Justin. So uh, going back, I mean, I've always been a massive video game fan. Like most of your guests you have on this have on the show, um, I can trace my roots back way, you know, the NES days, uh, Atari days. I had my first experience of competitive video gaming when I was six. I was six years old. Um, I'm 40 now. And um, back then, you know, before it was called eSports, it was competitive video games. Or, and then it kind of got the label of cyber games. But um, I grew up around video games. I grew up attending um, these, you know, internet cafe tournaments and then evolved into kind of running my own, whether or not it was Quake tournaments or Unreal. Um, uh, and then, you know, I, I took a pathway. I knew I wasn't going to be good enough to play pro and make a career out of it. Um, you know, I was a bit of a realist and thought, okay, well, I'm going to move my, my career into into the world of corporate. So um, I worked with various organizations and companies in the, um, the corporate space. So where I'm from, just to give your listeners a bit of background, um, from the Art of Man. So the Art of Man is um, uh, an independent uh, governed island in the middle of the Irish Sea, slack band between uh, England and Ireland, um, 30 miles by 13 miles. Population is around 85,000. It's pretty tiny, but it's actually the longest um, running established government in the world. Um, and like I said, we're independent as well. Uh, we're offshore. It's an offshore jurisdiction. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunities growing up on an island that's so attractive to the, the corporate space to, you know, get a job in that in that world. Um, so, you know, I, I worked for a software company for nine years, um, straight out of college, um, building and managing corporate software, uh, uh, which meant I had to learn kind of the corporate world and from tax structuring to um, uh, corporate structuring, um, trusts. Um, but all, all the while, you know, I was still consuming, you know, competitive video gaming and, and esports. Um, before it was even labeled esports. So uh, whether or not I was running tournaments in my local internet cafe or um, watching bootlegged um, StarCraft II videos that I could get my hands on um, and just yeah, just obsessed with it. I mean, if we're going to be honest. And um, uh, over the last, I suppose, five years, I've taken a focus on, look, you know, I, I'm – uh, I've got all this experience in, in the corporate world, so I know how to, you know, form companies. I know how to um, have conversations with stakeholders on the right type of tax structuring that they should have for their business. How can I apply that to the world of esports? You know, I've spent all this time socially with, you know, with teams, with org owners in EU and the UK, and you know, I'm very passionate about you know the industry. How can I apply my skill set to that? So. Uh, last five years, I kind of pivoted and, and advised some um, corporate service providers on their esports products. You know, they're, 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 whether or not that's escrow services um, for tournaments, it's helping orgs manage their structure of their teams and making sure their players are paid. Um, to uh, August last year, I took on the role of head of esports for our government. 
Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that. You know, what are you kind of doing there? And, you know, why was this kind of created? Um, I think, so why was it created? Um, As you know, as as some of your listeners will as well, um, esports is unregulated. So um, there's so much, um, it's better getting better, but there's still so much Wild West um, is a common phrase that's quite used often in the world of esports. But there's so many areas that can benefit from proper structure and, and proper regulation. And here on the Art of Man, we are home to um, uh, some of the biggest um, and profitable esports betting companies that are regulated. Um, we've got a good track record in um, attracting uh, betting and gambling firms, uh, shipping firms. Um, as I said, the corporate the corporate space here on the island is is very well known in the corporate circles. So the island effectively, you know, the government looked at, look, we're already doing great in these other industries and already regulating these other industries. Um, it's created jobs here. It's attracted businesses here. Um, this esports thing is, is growing. It's getting a lot of traction. Um, we really need to be coming at this, but thankfully they understood very early on that you'd have to come at it authentically. You know, you, you can't, dive into esports and BS your way in. You've got to, you know, have a, a clear strategy, which is is welcomed by the esports industry as is, is being authentic. So, um, uh, you know, th- thankfully they, they, um, they accepted my, um, my resume as, as somebody that can come at it authentically, but has also got experience in, you know, in the corporate world. So, you know, in short, I can talk corporate, but I can also talk esports. Absolutely. So, you know, what are some unique benefits, you know, the country may provide an esports company or a talent? So, yeah, I mean, if, if we do in reverse then, from a talent point of view, the Isle of Man uh, is, is, is got a really good track record in creating and supporting traditional sports talent. So um, whether or not that's cycling or motorcycling, so that there's a, you know, a famous uh, motorcycle race called the TT, um, which happens every year, and um, uh, that's been running for like 100 years. Um, we've got Olympic-level cyclists that have been created on the island. Um, and uh, as with looking at what, you know, our pedigree in the corporate world, I'm looking at, you know, what our pedigree is in traditional sports um, and applying that to, to esports athletes. So if you're if you're an org and you're thinking, okay, well, look, I need somewhere to boot camp my CS team or my League of Legends team, um, I want to put them in a in a place that I know they're going to have access to, you know, traditional sports scientists, nutritionalists, coaches, um, and give them access to that Olympic level um, training, um, and we can do that here on the island. Um, also, as an island, it's quite attractive at the moment, at the time of this recording. That um, we have no COVID here on the island. So there's no COVID. There's no, no COVID in the community. There's no. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide 
that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lockdowns. Um... And if you're a, if you're an org and you want to drop your team somewhere to scrim, then um, it's pretty attractive the fact that they can scrim in the same room and they can access trainers um, without any social distancing or, or you know masks needed. Um, so from 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 that side, from a talent point of view, we've also got you know being offshore, we've got um, we've got low taxes here, so we've got uh, an attractive um, tax regime that you know if you're uh, talent or if you're an org looking for a, a, a footprint somewhere in uh, in this side of the pond then the art of man definitely has something to offer the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news we dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Do you have to be like a citizen of the Isle of Man or like how does that kind of work? So, um, again, like with your disclaimer, um, I'm not, I'm not, I can't issue any tax advice, especially on behalf of the government, but um, you so we've got low tax rates as a resident here. So if you're a resident of the Isle of Man, uh, absolutely. But um, there are different um, structures that you can have here from a corporate point of view. But you have to have substance. You know, the Isle of Man has done very well in the eyes of um, uh, likes of EU governing bodies and Moneyvel in the fact that you know, yes, we can set our own tax rates, but we're also um, very hot on substance. So if you want to take a, take benefit of structuring over here, um, gone of the days that, you know, uh, you could just set up a company and, and uh, benefit from that. I mean, we've never done that. It's always had to have substance and management and control here on the island. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a great place to live. It's a great place to be. Um, it's not um, a, a hard sell, to be honest, dude, in that. You know, if you want to, whether or not it's in esports, it's not in esports. If you're a startup or if you're an established business that's looking for um, uh, another location somewhere, um, we've got a lot to offer in that space. But bringing it back into esports, um, yeah, you, you've got to have some boots on the ground here to take advantage of those things. Okay, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You got to have this, you know, if you set up shop there, you have a training camp or a training facility and gives you a whole point of getting right into EU and kind of England and some of these other countries mm -hmm. that aren't too far from, you know, where the aisle is located. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're like 55 minutes um, from London, you know, half an hour from Liverpool, Manchester. We're very well connected um, uh, in our little island. So it's a, it's a good location. I mean, um, I don't do hard sell, as you know. I mean, I don't do kind of heavy pitch, but, um, and that's not, you know, what I'm on here to talk about. But at the end of the day, um, there's worse places you could be in the world. Absolutely. Um, the, the COVID is no COVID is great. 
So, um, you know, life is, is pretty much normal over here. Um, and I've seen that with the sports guys. And we, we've got some League of Legends teams here as well. Um, and, you know, they're doing fantastic. And they're taking advantage of the fact that they can all get together in the same room um, with their coach, with the players. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important. So why did the kind of the government create a department over maybe, you know, an independent association or a federation like many other countries have been doing? Well, we've, again, we don't, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, we've done it really well in this approach with our, um, uh, in the supporting the betting and the gambling side of things. Um, uh, you know, we put out our stall about 15 years ago to license, uh, betting and gambling and, um, we had uh, we brought in expertise um, and individuals who kind of lived and breathed that and understood it. Um, and you know, when when we're approached by um, firms that you know want to license in, as taking the betting and gambling as an example, um, they've got comfort that you know the people that they're dealing with not only are they as senior as senior as they can get, but these guys um, you know understand their industry. You know, they understand the, the pain points and the pitfalls and the barriers. Um, and, um, we work really closely with, um, the private sector though. So, um, we, we support the private sector with regards to the, the, the guys that have actually got to do the work in creating the companies or providing the services. Um, and we build a really strong relationships from a government point of view. Um, and then when we're out at conferences and we're flying the eloquent flag, we bring these guys along with us. Um, and it's a real partnership. Um, in fact, I mean, we call it within the, within the government, they're actual uh, agencies. So I'm part of the digital agency. So within the digital agency, there's, you know, I'm, I'm head of esports. I sit opposite the head of betting and gambling. And we have, um, you know, we've got a blockchain presence, we've got a cryptocurrency, um, uh, and anything that kind of covers from a digital space. Um, but then across the office, you know, you've got um, the finance agency and the banking agency and the locate agency. Um, and they're also, um, we, we work in, in partnership with the private sector. So it's a real public private, um, uh, relationship. Um, uh, and it works really well. So we figured, you know, we're going to step in the esports space. We're not going to reinvent the wheel on this. And I found recently, it was only this week, I was having a conversation with a, a, a TO and, you know, one of the things that attracted them for you know, doing business here and, and approaching the island was that the fact that they knew I was so connected in with the other kind of areas that they were quite keen on, you know, from a blockchain space or a, um, uh, the betting and gambling or the crypto. Um, uh, and, the, you know, they didn't have to go around the houses to, to have those, those conversations and for me to join the dots. Um, so, uh, you know, it works really well. Amazing. So, do you th- do? Is there like another association that handles esports and gaming that you would work with? Or is the department, you know, the governmental department, the only one that's in charge of it on the whole island? Um, yeah. So, so I mean, it's there's. I work with. So the regulator is a, is a good example. So the regulator is the floor below me in the office, um, and I work with them on um, projects where we're exploring what an esports regulation would look like. And we know this is not going to be built overnight and we want to do it right. We want to do it authentically with feedback from the industry. Um, because of, you know, when we get to the stage of going to effectively going to market with what our esports regulation looks like, um, it's got to be, I keep using the word a lot, um, but it's got to be authentic. It's got to be fit for purpose. Um, 
so by working with the regulator and, and uh, is, is fantastic because I can uh, tap into their knowledge on, oh, look, you've been regulating the, the uh, betting and gambling, online betting and gambling industry for so long. Um, the out of man license is seen as a gold standard. It's seen as a gold stamp. So um, being able to work with them on this part of my role with, with regards to the esports regulation is invaluable. Um, but any inquiries or any kind of education that's given on, on, uh, on the island is, is effectively in my department. It's, it's, it's the esports um, side of things. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as you pointed out, having someone that's working in the government on this highest level where they're not, you know, an association recognized by the government, it's actually, you know, formal government officials in this official capacity gives everything you're doing extra weight. It adds this confidence, especially when you're a mega brand that's trying to decide how to position themselves. You want to have inroads to the top. You don't want to have to deal with someone who then has to go and deal with someone in order to get things done. So I think mm-hmm. it's important, and I think the way that you guys approached it is, you know, definitely very interesting. So, what's any you know recent news or work? What are you guys working on now that I can talk about? <laughs> so, um, I mean, we, we we've got a lot of grassroots initiatives, and and to me, you know, my heart's always in the grassroots programs um, because without grassroots, you know, and without it being supported, you know, the, the industry um, is going to fizzle out. You know, you can you can have these you know multi billion dollar orgs. You can have you know stadiums being filled. Um, you can have influencers with millions of followers. But if you're not supporting at the other end, you're not creating the future talent and supporting the future talent. There is no industry. There's no growth of industry. So, you know, I do a fair bit of work in bringing um, people together that can support the the esports grassroots scenes on the island. So. Most recently, there was a, um, a Super Smash Bros. tournament, and they, these guys got on my radar quite early on, and they've been running events out of a church hall. I mean, you couldn't get more grassroots than these guys. I mean, the last event, their parents came down with pizza that they'd made at home. Um, it was real, like, sort of 90s internet cafe kind of stuff. But um, I wanted to support them in the best way I could um, and give them exposure to big events. And... Uh, there's a local events company that would normally bring their kit down if it was like, um, you know, a, 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 a musician coming over or a band coming over and they bring all their lights and all their equipment. And I said, look, there's this event going on in a church hall. There's like, what, 30, 40 guys attending. Um, it would be really cool if you could kind of bring your kit down and support them. So, so that was a really fun project in that, uh, while you know there wasn't necessarily any direct economic benefit straight away, I can see you know 100% the value of that because these these young guys were able to have access to thousands of pounds worth of kit, which to be honest, it was totally overkill, but it was still an opportunity to bring more people to come and attend their event. They were able to to stream it better. They were able to have better lighting, um, and um, the the events company. Uh, on the island, they got more exposure from learning about, you know, the FGC scene of esports. Um, uh, so, I mean, it, it, while it's not a massive project, it was a really fulfilling one that, you know, was part of my role. Um, I really enjoyed doing. Um, the other side of things, I suppose, it's quite exciting. Is like I said, is from the bootcamp side. So, um, 
spent time with the traditional sports athletes here on the island and the the trainers on the island. And some of them already knew about esports, but others needed a bit more education. And I'm really glad that I'm able to kind of sit with these guys. And I enjoy training. I enjoy educating people about esports. Um, that I was able to to deliver that training rather than leave it to them to to kind of go on the internet and be exposed to it in maybe not necessarily the right way um, and just have their minds blown at looking at you know, like footage from from TI or um, other events and they're like what where do I start you know the, as you know the esports is, ecosystem is massive and trying to explain that to somebody is is um, who has no exposure the only thing they've ever seen is like coverage of the Fortnite World Cup. Um, that seems to be quite a common thread I'm finding for people that are not gamers or they've not seen anything from an esports point of view. Um, and when I come to talk to them and I'll say, what do you know about esports? And they're like, yeah, is that yeah, like a Fortnite ninja? Yeah, exactly. So, and then I'm like, okay, we well, let's take a step back and I'll get the laptop out and I'll go through the presentation and say, okay, well, look, esports actually started in the late seventies. Um, and you know, this is how it's evolved and these are the moving parts and you know, this is how an org is structured. These guys do have coaches, they have, you know, um, uh, nutritionalists, they, this is how, um, you know, a tournament operator operates and, um, and they're like, okay, yeah, we really see that there's so many other opportunities in esports, and which is great because, I mean, as I'm sure you'll know that. When you can educate someone that way, the light bulb moment goes off. And it's like, hey, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with lawyers on the island who, you know, are very skilled in what they do. And before I come in and have a conversation with them, they're like, is there any, really anything in esports for me? Um, and, you know, once we start talking to them, they're like, actually, there's a lot of transferable skills that we've got. Or there's a lot of services that we've got that the esports industry is crying out for, whether or not it's from contracts or it's from um the uh, you know uh, delegation or from uh, visas is is a big one and and uh, helping them uh, understand that yeah you 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 might specialize in um, uh, in visas and and making sure that people can get in and out of one country or the other but that happens in esports and I've seen that I've been with teams where you know they, they've tried to enter into a country and play in a tournament. And unfortunately, whether or not it was the TO or the org owner, didn't understand the right pathway they had to go to to get a, a, a visa yeah, to get them to play. Esports is hard. As someone who does them for players, and you know, we'll kind of discuss it a little bit later, it's not that cut and dry. It takes a lot of unique knowledge and actual industry knowledge to explain to these government officials who really don't know anything about this stuff. It's like you said, they may know Fortnite and Ninja. They might see PlayStation if they have younger children. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not really exposed to that, Ubisoft and a Rainbow Six Siege we really doesn't mean anything. And Cloud9 and Immortals and 100 Thieves doesn't really have any meaning but you have to add all the extra context to it and understanding the information that you need to provide to these government officials to actually get the visas yeah exactly and and which countries you know recognize esports as an actual sport or um and it could be that you know it's just to give the guys in esports a defense i mean if you take org owners you know they've come come from from bedroom to managing a you know multi-million dollar organization you can't expect these guys to ever been exposed to you know picking up the phone or, or going online and, and filling out the forms 
or knowing which boxes to tick when it comes to making sure that his team has got the right visa paperwork in place. Um, Because they've had no exposure to that. They've gone from, you know, internet cafe to having a team which is successful to getting big sponsors coming on board. And um, so I'm always quite mindful that on both sides, there needs to be of education. You know, educating those in the esports industry that, you know what, dude, you should really be getting a company to form form for this, or you should really be speaking to a lawyer if you're going to be signing this contract, or you should be really, be, if you're going to enter into this new partnership, um, you need to take a step back and, and have a look at the legals around this. Um, so there's a lot of education which needs to be done on, on both sides. Absolutely. So do you think more governments are going to kind of follow your approach and have specific governmental departments or will more countries just continue to ab- establish these separate organizations working on these matters? Um, I don't know. I mean, listening to you as you were um, rattling off that, I mean, I know there's that many federations. Um, it's hard to keep track of them, you know, and I think that over time we're going to see, you know, different federations either combine or fiddle out. Um, and uh, it is surprising to me, though, that when I I email, whether or not it's another jurisdiction or I email um, people within our industry, in the esports industry, they are quite shocked. They're like, whoa, I didn't realize that there's a government out there that has a head of esports. And um, more and more, I'm, fi- I'm finding that it is quite a unique position i'm in it's quite a unique role it's great so yeah i mean the the fact that um there is um a a unique uh, opportunity for the Isle of man here there's not that many people out there that have got these um uh, there's not many governments out there that have taken the bold approach to to do what we've done we're in a great position but in answer to your question um uh, yeah absolutely i think you you're going to start to see um, uh, more governments um, creating things that we've done. And it's a fantastic opportunity for us to to kind of lead the way a bit um, and hopefully being able to to join up with, you know, with, with other jurisdictions and other governments as well. Um, not to say there isn't a role for federations and, and, and those guys as well, but there is a lot of them out there at the moment. I think too many. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that that might be the way some of this evolves that, you know, more of these organizations start working with each other and that governments, especially in areas where you have just a ton of investment and you need infrastructure in order to really elevate it, the governments are going to take notice because they're the ones that are probably going to benefit the most in the long term. So I think there's really an incentive there. So what's the future for esports on the Isle of Man? The future. Um, I mean, keep. I mean, I'm only six months into the role, so um, it's keep doing what we're doing. It's it's raising our profile. It's it's coming on more podcasts like this. It's um, you know having people because I, I, we're still only a small island. I mean, we're a very you know a, a successful island. We've done some fantastic things in different industries, but there's still a lot of education which needs to be done. Um, of uh, you know what we've got to offer, so I think the future is is making more noise. It's making more noise about you know here we are. This is what we're doing. Um, thankfully, it, it it already has started to you know get on the radar based on my own contacts in the industry that I've built up over the years. But um, I'd love to to have more of a um, a, a profile raising kind of tour in, on your side of the pond. So get out to North America. Um, and that's, that's the, the, the frustrating thing at the moment with, with, you know, lockdown, uh, in, in, in so many parts of the world that I can't travel. 
You know, I love, um, you know, what we've done as an industry. We've pivoted online. We've, you know, esports has been really, you know, fortunate that it can pivot really well. Um, and there's Zoom calls and, you know, podcasts like this, which are great, but you can't be actually, you know, getting out there and, and shaking hands and meeting people. And, and uh, that's, I think, like most people, that's what I'm missing the most at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, US is a bit of a big place. So there's, there's uh, loads of opportunities out there for us, I think, um, to get in front of different orgs and different teams um, and say, hey, look, you know, we're this little island in the middle of the Irish Sea, but, you know, we've got a lot to offer from a structuring side, from regulation side, from a boot camping side. This is what we're doing on our grassroots. Um, so I'm excited about that. You know, once the world gets back to kind of a new normality um, to, to get traveling more. Absolutely, Matt. I think that as someone who's kind of just learning a bit more about it and working with different brands and companies on the structuring, it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're, you know, a North America based org that's trying to expand into, you know, the EU or other markets internationally, or realistically, if you're trying to get a franchise, like I know there's a bunch of prominent Western European cities that are more than up for grabs in the Call of Duty and Overwatch and some of these franchise spots. So I think that that might be a way that certain organizations can get involved and start creating an imprint across the pond, as we say, and really start elevating and figuring out how to operate their business in even better capacity. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely, dude. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, if you've got a uh, you know, if you've got an org, one of the great things about esports is that um, there's so many um, opportunities with the way an org is structured with different titles of games that you've got players in and, you've, and different content creators, as you know. Um, and they all work slightly different in that they, they, they were playing in different tournaments. Those tournaments will be taking place in different parts of the world. It may be that you've got teams which attract different types of sponsors than your other teams. You know, a, a, a sponsor that sponsors a League of Legends team is, is going to be cut from a different cloth of a sponsor that sponsors a Counter-Strike team, you know, and being able to just... And it'd be great to have them here on the Ottoman. Absolutely. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that, but... Um, I'd love to see more orgs taking a step back and, and structuring things a little bit smaller. You know, how they, how they structure their business behind the scenes of, you know, the different orgs, uh, the different teams that they're, they're spinning up, you know, how they segregate their, their content creators um, separately, you know, where they, where they register their IP. Um, and, and some orgs are, you know, waking up and, and starting to take that approach. But it's the, it's the, the tier two and the tier three ones that I really want to sort of get in front of and start educating because you get these young girls and guys who see your face clans and your under thieves and your uh, fanatics and um they they sometimes a bit blinkered you know they, they want to get to the stage where they can start selling out hoodies they want to get to the stage where they've got a roster of content creators um but there's a lot that needs to go in place to get to that stage and and um uh, I've seen, you know, young young guys that have tried to put an org together, um, and they've been talented, but you know, unfortunately, because they've not put the structure in place, um, you know, they've they've crashed and burned. Um, either they've been taken advantage of, or they've, um, you know, they've not been able to raise the capital they needed, or they've had players walk because they've not been able to pay them on time or in full. Um, so there's a lot of education which needs to be done to say yes, you can have that. 
you know, um, merchandising arm. You can have that content creator arm. You can win those trophies. But behind the scenes, there's a lot more that you need to do. I'm not saying you need to do it yourself. You need to speak to the right lawyers. You need to think about what jurisdiction you're going to drop your company in. You need to think where you're going to put your IP. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of education which needs to be done. Um, but it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely preaching to the choir. And I think that someone who, you know, it's the biggest thing I've been noticing in my years working in it is that exact fact is that, you know, sometimes you get a team and they do really well in a tournament out of nowhere and everything changes. And if you weren't prepared properly on the back end, you didn't have player contracts in place, maybe you didn't pay them, maybe you didn't uphold your agreement, these players may just walk and then you lose all the momentum. Or, you know, the other side from a player is you may be signed to an agreement with a team that, oh, like nothing, you know, like who knows what's going to happen. Like this is fun. And then you end up doing amazing and you become a star and it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe I signed this agreement. How do I get out of it? And, you know, I think that these are lessons that people are starting to learn. And I think this kind of leads to, you know, a little pivot in the conversation. It's funny. I started this year with the first podcast where a guest asked me a question. And now we're going to have the first podcast where a guest asked me a series of questions. So, you know, I'm going to turn the mic over to you, Chris, and – you know, the floor is yours. And and, it, and that's a nice segue. It was almost as if it was planned that I kind of segued that way in. But, um, yeah, I mean, to, as, as your listeners will know, and if they don't, then they really need to kind of um, pay more attention. I mean, you've, you've wrote your book. I know it's in your hands now. I've seen your, your, um, your, your tweet with your book there. And I just – I know we've spoken about this offline anyway, but I'd love to, to kind of know – go way, way back – on, on what the, the the turning point was of um, you're going to write a book about esports. I mean, was it? Are you one of those guys that always says like, oh, you know, there's, there's I always want to write a book. It doesn't matter what it is. I always want to write a book. Or was it a case of you know you've got all this knowledge, you've got all this understanding, and you've seen a gap in the market? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, as my viewers hopefully know, I'm, I'm sure I put it on social media enough. Um, my book, The Essential Guide to the Business and Law of Esports and Professional Video Gaming, is available at the end of February. And pretty much, you know, I initially, I always love writing. I'm sure you, you probably see a bunch of articles and, you know, different things that I put out there. And I kind of felt that there was kind of a huge knowledge void, that there was just all of this information, that it was either spread out, very scattered, or there was just a lot of stuff that just really wasn't publicly known. And realistically, there was only a few people doing this kind of work consistently at a high level. And, you know, I kind of felt that there was some kind of almost educational obligation to try to pull the curtain back a little bit and give a little insight and kind of give someone a guide and a a plan for how to actually do this and to do it properly, which, you know, I think is something that you mentioned is the idea is that someone can pick this up. If you want to run a team, okay, this is why you should trademark your team name. These are some of the things you might copyright. These are why you might create an entity. These are some benefits, you know, tax write-offs and reductions that you might be eligible for. So it's like starting to bring some of these topics that I thought were, you know, very essential to success in this world and putting them together. You know, I wish something like this existed when I started and you know, there's similar texts in, you know, music and sports industries. And, you know, I felt a lot of the literature that was in the esports and gaming world, especially was just not as comprehensive and didn't really bring some of the legal knowledge that I had, you know, kind of found through my years. And, and what was the process? I mean, 
was it you you once you had the ideas like okay, I'm going to write a book now? Is it a case of of um, sitting down in front of the typewriter and you just splurge all this out and you're like right and and you just go from the beginning? Or was it a case of you keep a little notebook in your pocket? And as you sort of going through your day and I know that, you know, working in the industry is something that you do for a living is a case of actually, yeah, that's a cheeky chapter right there. I'm going to make a quick note of that. That's, that's a great idea. What was the process? Well, yes. I mean, you know, it took over a year to write and it was kind of like, if, as I mentioned, like I write written different articles on different topics and I was kind of at the point of like, okay, like maybe I'm going to continue doing this and try starting to siphon out some of this knowledge. And I was like, okay, well, maybe why don't I just put it into a book where it's just kind of like you said, where I just open up a word document and I just started writing and over time new things came and it evolved and you know, the structuring and stuff started to change, but it was kind of this living breathing document that I just felt there was just so much going on. And in order to kind of bring it together, someone who really understood it from a really high level how to just kind of take the plunge and, you know, realistically the people that are doing it at this level are just really entirely too busy to dedicate this extra time that's necessary, you know, from the writing to then the whole editing process. Once you actually get a book deal with a publisher and, you know, that took six months between, you know, editing the manuscript. And then once it's edited, they format it and then you edit it again of like what the final copy is going to look like. So it's a lot of, rereading and reading over and trying to find, you know, the period is here, quotations, you know, all these little things that, you know, take time and are very, you know, nebulous and time consuming. And how, how do you manage the scope of something like that? For an industry that we're in, which is constantly changing, constantly evolving, there's new titles coming in, there's, you know, there's new challenges to the industry. How, how do you manage the, to, to keep things in scope? Um, of what you're going to write, you know, from, from a chapter's point of view. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that by now there's just kind of some things that are just established. You know, I think that the way we structured it was that you have these four primary parties in this esports business ecosystem and he kind of lays out how each of them earn revenue and how they interact with each other. And, you know, these parties are pretty well described and a lot of these revenue streams are, you know, pretty common amongst the industry and seem to be things that are going to stay. Obviously, things are going to come and go over time, but, you know, sponsorship and ad revenue from streaming and, you know, a salary or tournament winnings, these things are pretty ingrained in the industry. The same way in music world, you have merch and touring revenue and album revenue and publishing revenue. These are, they may evolve, whether it's from Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music, but the concept is still in place. So I was really able to find, you know, patterns that exist in a lot of the major agreements and kind of siphon out some of that language and try to provide some people some negotiation tactics on kind of how to negotiate from each side of each clause and what it means and why this is beneficial. And, you know, the book is really a work in progress. It's kind of like the first person putting together all the knowledge and all the literature that's out there and, kind of bringing some information that's not out there at all. And like you said, this thing just continues to evolve. And I think it's just 
there's even more. Like I'm really excited for, you know, the class I'm teaching based on the book and the feedback I'm getting from the students and how I'm going to be able to expand on some sections that were really just in their infancy when it started. Whereas, you know, now something like college esports and youth and high school esports is massive and it's just going to continue to grow. So, you know, I'm excited to kind of take what I started and continue to build as, you know, more information and as things change. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic, dude. I mean, I'm interested to hear um, what the the most challenging kind of chapter or section is. It broken down into chapters. Um, yep. Yeah, so, what, what was the most challenging chapter that you had to work on? That um, you know, you were. It was uh, not that I think because I know you've been working on this for a while. Um, that it was a stage of, oh, you know, I'm going to you know throw the towel in. But what was one of the most frustrating or, or challenging chapters that you had to work on? I think it was one of those things where like once you introduce a topic early on, like not just going into like a huge like five paragraph information, like being able to like understand where things go, where it's, you know, the way I envision is you got to read it from front to cover Mm -hmm. because the information builds on it. You know, information you may learn in chapter one, it's kind of assumed that you might have, yeah, that's part of your learning for as you go forward. So I think that that was the biggest thing was making sure I didn't repeat you know, things that were earlier that said later and just making sure that everything flowed together. I, th- I think that was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's when it comes from an editing point of view, uh, getting back into it and, and editing it and um, rereading it from front to, to back again. I don't know how many times you have to do that, but um, just to make sure you've, you've captured that, that flow. Right. And sometimes it's like, oh, like I'm writing something. It's like, oh, did I mention it? Like I need to go back to see if I talked about it earlier. If I, It's just kind of one of those things where, you know, you wanted to make sure that you put as much information and as much, you know, citations and sources for what you're stating. But you wanted to make sure that you don't repeat yourself either. So it was just trying to find a balance with making sure the information was provided properly and that it wasn't, you know, too repetitive. Mm-hmm. And, and how did you... Um... How did you decide on the cover? I mean, I've not seen the back cover, but how did you decide on... So the cover and the back cover are great. They, I pretty much, you know, the publisher had you know, has access to, you know, a database of images. And, you know, I spent a long time looking through all their images. And, you know, a little spoiler, the cover is, you know, a big CSGO event. And it's like the stage. You'll see, you see like HyperX and Intel and some of the sponsors and the big Astralis logo. And then the behind cover is like kind of like a a graphic of some like a streamer with like his headset and like all the padding around him. So I kind of look at it as like, this is the front stage is the big show. And this is what the behind the stage, the back cover looks like. And trying to kind of show you that, you know, this is the show, but there's also this going on in the back and that's where the business is. And that's how you really win. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. No, I'm excited, dude. So as a, as a final plug, um, you know, when, when is it hitting shelves? When can people get their hands on it? Uh, well, you know, Amazon said it'll be in stock, you know, by the 19th of February. So next week, it's like next yeah, week. Th- things are happening fast. It's, you know, very exciting. The official release date is the 24th. So, you know, come March, hopefully a lot of people are going to be tweeting. They got their book. Nice. Nice. And then, like you said, you, you've already, um, got some, some ideas for addition too. Um, and do you see that as, you know, we're talking about it evolving. Um, 
do you see it as uh, an, an extra addition, like, you know, addition to, or would you see maybe now you've, you've, you've written a book, you've got one to your name, um, that, that you would be keen on focusing just because as, as you know, and, and, and you've had some great guests on your show that maybe there's enough to, to focus on like influences or just to focus on um, maybe, you know, appetite for, for just focusing on the legal side of things. Do you think there's, there's, that's where the future will go with, um, with the book? I don't know. I think I kind of like that. It's just kind of this guide that brings you everything you need to know. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, there's something called in the music business called all you need to know about the music business. That's written by, you know, Janet Jackson and Michael Jackson's lawyer, this, you know, high profile Hollywood lawyer. And it's like, you read it cover to cover and like, you know, everything you need to know. And it just kind of, you know, as I think it's on its seventh edition now. Wow. And it's just kind of like, Every, what, I don't know, every year, every two, whatever it is, you know, whenever there's a big update, when, you know, streaming came into play, when, you know, digital downloads start, to, when these big shifts in the scene come is kind of when a new edition comes. And it's kind of like, and a beginner is still going to need most information, but there's all this new stuff that builds on it. Like, you know, for instance, recreational esports is, you know, an area that has just exploded in the last few months. And, you know, a year ago wasn't really on anyone's radar. So it's just kind of like finding these new trends and being able to now bring them into the tax. So it's like, okay, this is another huge area. The same way people play, you know, kickball, you know, beer league, softball, whatever it is, there'll be beer league, league of legends. And this is a whole new part of the industry that's evolving. So, you know, I'm kind of looking at it as just being able to continue to build it to a point because, I think you need to understand the full industry in order for you to really succeed in it. Mm -hmm. And is that the aim? So people would, I mean, is your aim that people read the book and it's a pathway for them to get involved in the industry or is it for people that are already in the industry or have you gone kind of like anybody can pick this up and read it and enjoy it? Yeah, I think it's kind of for both. You know, it's definitely not like meant for law students or attorneys only. I tried to do something that was pretty easy to digest and it's meant for high school or college student, someone who wants to get in the industry or someone who's in it and maybe just doesn't know that much about, you know, copyrights and trademarks and as they relate to esports or immigration and visas or, you know, the development of labor unions and some employment things and a lot of stuff on sponsorship. And, mm -hmm. and like I said, a lot of these major team and coach and caster agreements they're not public there's no way to find them unless you're doing them so i was able to you know siphon out some information that would be beneficial to anyone mm -hmm. and that that comes from your skills as, as a lawyer not to blow smoke up your ass dude but you lawyers are good at you know, kind of digging through information and text and finding out like previous cases or previous examples or um so it must have that must have come in handy yeah you know it was just kind of like my big law review article I wrote in law school. It's just one of these things where you're doing research and trying to find as much information and as many examples and as many other sources that are reputable kind of confirming what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and that gives the reader like comfort because as we've spoken about before, I mean, there's, as with any kind of new exciting industry, I say new, but um, the, you know, any industry which is getting, um, you know, more eyeballs, you know, people are looking at it. Um, you're going to get, unfortunately, you're going to get people 
spouting out information which might not be accurate. You know, they, you know, they might have best intentions, but you know, they might have put two and two together and stopped shouting about six. And and it's it's great to have, um, I think, you know, people like yourself that have put together this this resource, which to be honest is is pretty unique. If, you know, from from cover to cover, um, you know, if you're painting that whole story. Um, that, you know, I'd like to think that it's going to do a lot of good in that whether or not it's a law firm or a, a, a practice or, um, you know, a, a young college student who's wanting to, you know, build an org of their own, that they can turn to this book and trust that, you know, it's it's based on fact. It's based on actual, look, this is actually what's happened previously. This is what's happening now. Um, and then, they, you know, they're excited to get addition to Absolutely. You know, and that was kind of my goal that like, you know, you go to the esports event organizer chapter and it gives you some tips on how to organize an event, things you should look for, make sure you get the proper licensing and just understanding why you need a license from the developer. Because you know, I get that question all the time of like, oh, we're just going to run like a small prize pool and, you know, just a couple thousand dollars and then the third, it's like, that's great. But each of these developers has specific rules that apply to the use of their game. For a commercial use, you know, if you're doing a charity event and no one's making money, it's not as relevant. But if you're charging people, or you have sponsors involved or, you know, some monetary component to it, you have to understand the legal rights and obligations and what's going on. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a misconception as well. And, and, and it's, it's, it's not always easy to find that information from the publishers either. Um, you know, they, they don't always make it easy where to find out, you know, the differences between running an event with, um, uh, from Epic or Riot or uh, Activision Blizzard, you know, they, 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 there isn't always a clear kind of tab that you click on and say, hey, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a, um, a, a small TO, you know, I want to run a, a local tournament or, you know, I'm wanting to step into it from a tier one or a tier two. Um, how do I find that info? Um, and, you know, being able to, to turn to this book um, and get this book in as many hands as possible because you don't want these guys kind of coming unstuck. You know, and neither do developers either. You know, they, they put these rules in place for a reason, but for the industry, as we spoke about before, from a grassroots point of view, it's important that, you know, these tournaments can take place. It's just so important that the new talent coming up from, a, um, you know, future org owners do things right and they get it right the first time and they know where to turn to to get this information. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's great to... To, to know that, you know, you, you've, you've done this and you've got this book and, I, I, you know, I'm going to try and get it in as many hands as, as I can. Um, uh, so, you know, I'm excited, dude. Well, you know, that's really appreciating. I really appreciate that. And, you know, listeners out there, definitely check it out. I think you'll learn some things. And, you know, I kind of like to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? <sighs> Counter-Strike. Yeah, I don't have to think twice about that one. That's... um. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know whether or not it's because I can remember back when, you know, even before the 1.6 days, you know, I always loved playing it. I just, you know, love the level of excitement. I love the casters involved. Um, you know, um, I think likes of Blast put a fantastic tournament on and put a fantastic uh, event on. And, and yeah, it's, it's definitely Counter-Strike. What about your favorite game to play? <sighs> So, you know, as, as a parent and, you know, I've got two boys, my youngest, um, unsurprisingly, he, he loves playing um, Fortnite. So 
at the moment, I'm actually enjoying him carrying me on duos. You know, I'm not great at it, but um, I get a lot of enjoyment playing it with him and watching him improve. And we've actually got a, um, a coaching session. There's a, there's a Canadian guy who's um, he's a Fortnite coach. So um, he's coaching him next week because, yeah, he's learned all he can from, from his old man. So, um, but I still enjoy playing it with him. Um, but then, you know, if it's just on my own, uh, I, I, I do enjoy playing Hearthstone as well. Okay, so you know, who's your favorite video game character? Um, man, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm probably gonna go with Link again. Just you know, show my age. I, I you know, I, I can remember the original Zelda and um, watching Link, even though he's kind of a different character through the years, but it's still kind of like the iconic Link. So I'm gonna go with um, Link from the Legend of Zelda series. Okay, so, you know, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. Likewise, dude, yeah, um, on both sides. Um, you know, thanks, everybody, again, for tuning in. And make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.